Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, the new Google Podcasts app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. And a special welcome, by the way, to the newest subscribers from the Overcast app. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Australia, where Pink's tour currently is, with him playing drums. My guest has also performed over the years with the likes of Cheryl Crow, Stevie Nicks, Cher, Foreigner, Destiny's Child, and many others. He is the recipient of numerous golden platinum discs and has appeared on shows ranging from the Grammys to The Late Show to The Tonight Show to Conan O'Brien, Jon Stewart, American Idol, The X Factor, and more. He is also a music producer, audio engineer, and studio co-owner. He is one of the world's most sought-after drum clinicians. He also does one-on-one coaching and mentoring and is a keynote speaker. Plus, he wrote the book Conquering Life's Stage Fright, Three Steps to Top Performance. Amazing, amazing resume. This intro could go on. You've been hearing a song called Zade's Playground. It's my pleasure to welcome to now hear this entertainment, Mark Shulman. Wow, Bruce. That (laughs) was an intro. If you look up intro in the dictionary, that would be a perfect example. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Thank you to you. I'm, I'm glad to finally get you on the show. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for your patience. I know you've been trying to work this out, but uh, being in Australia, even just simply trying to do the math to figure out the time zone difference, you have to have a degree in, like, you know, calculus. <laughs> Thank goodness for timeanddate.com. <laughs> I just go on my iPhone and I hit world clock now because I, I don't have a clue. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Let's go ahead and have you tell the listeners first about that song that we were just playing called Zade's Playground. Oh, you know, my little daughter is uh she's eight years old she was a little miracle i wasn't supposed to father a child and when she was born i was all tear weepy like i've got this beautiful little girl i gotta write her a song i'm a musician i gotta write her a song and after about a few weeks i had nothing after a few months nothing and i'm thinking i'm a failure (laughs) and one morning i wake up and i've got this melody in my head and i'm like well this is not a lullaby because i was thinking about writing her a lullaby yeah uh, this was sounded more like a heavy metal circus, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then I realized I got this really cantankerous, fun, incredible, high energy little kid who has continued in that path as an eight year old. She's incredible. She's a blue belt in martial arts. And she speaks wow. three languages. So wow. that was Zade's playground. That is Zade's song, and my <clears throat> and I I came up with the idea. And I li- literally like like dreamt it. And I called my buddy Julian Coriel, who's one of the greatest guitar players and one of my dearest friends and studio man. I said, Julian, we got to go to the studio today, man. We got to record this. I got this idea fresh. I literally had all like the entire song almost start to finish in my head. Nice. And uh, he was so kind to record the guitar and bass. We didn't even have a chance to mic the guitar. The guitars are the guitars are direct. Wow. And 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 so I just set up a click track because I didn't even work out the drum part. And Julian, and I just, I literally hummed him all the parts. 
I said, it's just crazy. I want this hybrid of like jazz and rock and metal and blah, blah, blah. And so he played the guitar track to a click track. And then wow. I laid the drums down after that. So it was especially uh, lovely and supportive and challenging for him. And <laughs> he deserves a lot of kudos because he's such a brilliant musician. How funny is that that you tell that story and you said, I hadn't even worked out the drum parts of all of all the parts of the song. You hadn't worked out the drum part. <laughs> I know, isn't that funny? I mean, normally, like, you think he's a drummer, but when I write a song, because I do a lot of writing, I, I, I'm i really like a guy that usually starts with melody and then adds harmony and then rhythm comes later, unless it's based on something specific rhythmically. But that rarely happens for me okay. as a songwriter. Uh, everybody operates differently, but that's usually my formula. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, I've got to ask, of course, y'all have been in Australia for close to two months now, and this Saturday... You start six shows in 11 days in New Zealand to wrap up the 2018 schedule. So how is the tour going with Pink? It always goes brilliantly. She is truly the greatest performer on earth ever. Wow. And she's a hell hell of a gal. She's a wonderful friend. She's just so high integrity. And I think that uh, for, for any artist to have waited five years between a record and come back stronger than ever shows that they have current, they have real relevance as an artist. Um, and she is just magnificent and the reviews have been stellar. And I can only say that she raises my game every night because she's so gifted. Not only, I mean, if you took all of the acrobatics away and just that voice of hers is so miraculous. And then you add all of the performance value and the fact that she's literally doing death-defying stunts is truly, truly magnificent. And the audience, I think, is just can't believe it. <laughs> you know? And there's nobody that's even coming up that's even attempting to equal her level of performance because you have some really great performance. You have some great performance artists. You have some great tours. You have the, you know, the Lady Gagas and Katy Perry's and Taylor Swift's. But these people are having other people do the stunts. And they're just getting in costumes. Mm. Um, Pink actually does the stunts and sings live. I mean, did you see the American Music Awards? She was 40 stories above the ground doing aerial ballet on the side of the JW Marriott, a glass building 200 feet above the ground, singing live without a net. Mm. I mean, who does that? Mm. The answer is only one person, yeah. Pink. yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Great, great stuff. I mentioned that the intro I did at the beginning could have actually kept going. In fact, you are a classically trained cellist and played cello on Pink's 2009-2010 tour. Yeah, I don't consider myself a cellist out of respect for cellists because you need to practice that instrument daily and I don't. But I did grow up playing cello and there was an opportunity. I hadn't played for years and years, but we were doing a song. And I kept on insinuating to Paul, the musical director, and to Pink that, hey, I played cello because, uh, oh, yeah, it was the Funhouse tour because Jesse was playing violin. She's playing violin again. And Eva plays stand-up bass, our bass player. So they were talking about putting a string section together. I'm like, guys, <clears throat> I could play cello. <clears throat> and there were no drums on the song. And it was in the key of C. So it's easy. All I had to do was play about 16 long notes. So... <laughs> That was me on. That was my glory on cello. So, uh, cello is an instrument. I mean, I don't consider myself an active cellist, but I 
can play the instrument and have played it somewhat. Well, yeah, and perhaps you're being a little humble because for someone who's classically trained on it, and, you know, this isn't like uh, some friends I knew were, you know, doing a gig for a, a one-time benefit show, and I told them I'd hop up on stage and play some child. I mean, this is pink that we're talking about here. You know, for you to do that, I think you're selling yourself short a little bit. You're, you're being humble. Well, thank you. I mean, I practiced for many weeks just to play those 16 long notes and see. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) My brother Randy is a violinist, and he inspired me to play cello because my mother wouldn't let me play drums because they were too loud. And then my uncle Ben, who was our godfather, was his violin teacher and taught me how to play cello. And at the end of every cello lesson, he would give me a little drum lesson to humor me. Ah. But after a while, my parents couldn't deny my passion any longer, and they finally bought me a drum set at nine years old. I like it. And the cello went by the wayside when I hit about 13. <laughs> That's a cool story. That's cool. I'm, I'm glad, you, glad you threw that in there. Mark, bear in mind that I do this show largely for listeners who are aspiring performers that subscribe so that they can learn lessons each week from me and my guests to help advance their career. So I am able to anticipate the questions that they would have, such as back on episode 150 of this show, Mike Del Judas talked with me about how he became one of the guitar players on tour with Billy Joel. And then similarly on episode 169, Buck Johnson talked with me about how he became the keyboard player on tour with Aerosmith. So Mark, similarly, I'm curious how you landed the gig with Pink. I mean, obviously you have a resume that someone would look at and say, sure, okay, done. But did you know someone? Did you have an agent that helped you get the gig? How did that come to be? And then also, is it Pink herself that has the final say in Mark Shulman will be the drummer or in the case of her type of show, is it a musical director? They're all magnificent questions. I tell people your network is your net worth. In other words, it really is about the relationships that you have established that can help determine your success. So you need to have done the work. As Malcolm Gladwell says, you need 10,000 hours. You need to have practiced your butt off and you need to have the experience on stage. So when you get the opportunity to either audition or perform with a very well-established artist, that you're ready. So that's a given. That's kind of what my first book is based on. Conquering Life Stage Fright is based on the three C's, clarity, capability, and confidence. You need clarity about exactly what it is you want to do, and then you need to spend the time developing your capability, and that's what gives you true confidence to be able Mm. to perform at a world-class level. So if you combine that with calling everybody you know (laughs) and going to every jam night and contacting every producer and musician and letting them know you're available, Mm. you're building up your network. Your network is so critical because those are the people that recommend you. Those are the people that you will find out about gigs through and you will be connected with. So in the case of Pink, it all started with Cher. I auditioned for Cher three times. Now, I probably would be in the Guinness Book of World Records for people that have auditioned for Cher more than anybody else because I auditioned (laughs) three times. I auditioned the first time. I got the gig. They ended up giving it back to the original drummer because he showed up to the the, uh, um, auditions and she felt bad. Mm. Then I auditioned again. I made it at the top 25. I made it into the top four. And they gave it to the guy with the best astrological sign. And then when I finally auditioned again, 
I finally got the gig. So I started playing with Cher in 1999. And that was a whole network of people that were managed by a gentleman by the name of Roger Davies. Now, Roger manages Pink. So at a point when Pink's drummer double booked himself Uh-oh. and couldn't do two weeks worth of gigs, and I came in to substitute for him, well, we fell in love. It worked out so well that they ended up offering me the gig so I didn't even need to audition wow. because it just felt like a good fit. Wow. Now, Pink's original drummer was an R and more of an R&B drummer, and she become more of a rock artist so i think that it was an appropriate switch for me to come in and so i've been playing with her for 12 years and that's how it happened so i came in a sub um but it was based on my relationship with roger the manager who trusted me because he knew after my work with share that he could bring me in and although share and pink are very different artists he trusted me so he trusted me to come in and i came in we did a couple rehearsals and there i was doing all these shows and it worked out well wow that's cool tell me though when you did the sub work for two weeks i'm thinking back to episode 222 when i interviewed scott page who played with pink floyd played with super tramp i with love Toto. scott <laughs> so he told me on that interview that when he first got the opportunity to play with pink floyd that he went out and bought all these pink floyd albums because he had to learn the music. And Buck Johnson talks similarly about when he got the call from Steven Tyler, et cetera. But here you are, quote unquote, only going to sub for two weeks, but obviously you got to know the stuff down pat. So did you already know her stuff? Like how did you get up to speed quickly to be able to fill in for those two weeks? Um, I have bridged way of charting. Um, that's okay. shameless self-promotion, but you can learn about a DVD. I did a DVD that's available on Hudson Music for download all a day at the recording studio. I have a very specific charting system that I use. So I was able to chart everything out and learn it very, very quickly. And so by the time I went to play, I could even have the charts on the floor or on a music stand, but be barely looking at them. So I'm still present and still looking like I'm jamming with the band as opposed to reading a chart the whole time and I had a similar experience it was even more challenging I got called to play with one of the biggest Japanese artists in the world Ikichi Yazawa who I've done two tours with they call him the boss and they called me on a Friday they flew me on a Sunday I I had to learn two and a half hours of Japanese rock and roll I got to (laughs) Japan the 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 versions they had given me were the studio versions, they gave me new versions mm. and they were live versions. And then I was supposed to watch the band for two days, do two days of rehearsal and then play the show. Mm. Well, the boss had me sit in at sound check because they were replacing the other drummer. And he liked my playing so much. He said, you start tomorrow. Oh, he gosh. didn't want any charts on stage. So the, the drum tech had to hide the charts on the ground <laughs> Luckily, I had charted it out in a way that I could just reference them as opposed to have my what was my head, quote unquote, buried in the charts. <laughs> and I was able to play two and a half hours of Japanese rock without any mistakes. Mm. I didn't miss any endings or any intros by the charting system that, that I use, which incidentally, almost every drummer I know who's in the world class from Greg Bissonette to... 
uh, Brian Tishy. These are people that I've seen. They all have some sort of abbreviated chart system. Okay. Kenny Arnoff writes everything note for note. These are all friends of mine. I remember I subbed for Greg one night. It was a Beatles gig. And his. I got a call at 830 at night. My wife's going into labor. Can you come and play this Beatles gig? Well, I'm a Beatles freak, so I didn't have to look at it in this chart because I knew every Beatles song by heart, even though I hadn't played them. But I looked chart realizing he charts the same way that I do. It's a similar sort of abbreviated wow. charting system that wow. I think drummers can do. Um, I think anybody can figure out their own version. But if you want to know my version, download the DVD. It's cheap. Awesome. Awesome. I like that. And listeners, by the way, when... Mark just told his story about, and Mark, I love that quote, your network is your net worth. That one will definitely be on the show page for this episode on nhte.net. That's a great quote. Episode 231, Amy Keys, she kind of told how she got the gig with Phil Collins. She's always out singing whenever Phil Collins is on tour. So listeners, if you didn't hear that one, go back. And she basically has the same message for you, you know, that, that it's all about, as Mark just said, your network. And, and you know that I always say that there's no such thing as too many contacts. Mark, we don't talk a ton about gear on this show, but back on episode 196, Chad Cromwell, another drummer who has played with lots of big names and at the time was on tour performing yeah, with Joe Walsh. Great. On episode 196, he told me this amazing story of his original drum kit, which was a Gretsch kit. And lo and behold, here we are on episode 238. And listeners, the Mark Shulman signature snare drum is one of the best-selling signature products in the history of Gretsch. That, that's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. And the bummer is that they stopped making it. <laughs> wow. Help they me understand. all of the signature products, uh, all the signature drum products off the market. So... You can still buy them. I still see them available online, but they don't manufacture them anymore. I don't understand that. But when, I'm when, quite I'm I'm quite proud of it. Um, one of the best selling signature products, and they take it off the market. Well, you know, they things change. But that was one of the changes they made. They took the signature uh, snare drums away, and there are other snare drums they make that are similar. But but mine okay. is special, not because it's got my name on it, because it's got everything. I, you know, mine was born because my dear friend, John Palmer, who now works for Tama, um, he was the design engineer. And we were talking one day and I was telling him about what I thought they needed in their line because I was doing so many clinics. Mm. You need like a 12 or 13 inch, you know, sort of satellite drum, something thick, but crispy, but affordable. And by the time we were done, he's like, let's do a Mark Shulman uh, signature drum. <laughs> so it wasn't like, hey, we're going to do a signature drum. It's more like okay. I knew exactly what I thought they needed to manufacture. And John was kind enough to uh, put my name on it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Very organic. I like that. I want to turn the corner and start talking about some of the other hats that Mark wears, including that of being a studio co-owner, which coupled with all his ears in music means that he is very familiar with Tascam. And listeners, if you are subscribing to Now Hear This Entertainment, you hear me talk every week about all the great Tascam gear that I have, which enables me to record, edit, and produce this show every week. The newest unit I got, by the way, is the Tascam DR10L, which you might recall that Biebs talked about on episode 230 that she was using for the audio for her video. That's what I got it for, too. I did a speaking engagement a few weeks ago, and I used that so that I don't have to rely on camera audio. 
Check that out for whatever videos you are creating for your YouTube channel and other social media, and of course, the various other recording solutions too. Go to Tascam.com. That's T-A-S-C-A-M.com. Mark, you are the co-owner of West Triad Recording Studio in Venice, California. Plus, as I mentioned in the intro, you are an audio engineer. So I want to ask you to pass along maybe your top tip or your top two tips for the listeners who are recording music. But I'm almost tempted to ask it from the standpoint of biggest mistake or mistakes that you see artists committing when recording these days. I think the biggest mistake that I would say people engage in is getting obsessed with gear. It's not the gear. It's how you use the gear. And you talked about using Tascam. I used Tascam products years ago. I mean, I had like Tascam tape recorders back in the day. <laughs> and I had a Tascam eight-track cassette recorder wow. back in the day. <laughs> I think that a lot of companies make great gear. And I think that people get hung up on spending so much time researching and worrying about the gear that they're, they're missing the point. It's about how you use it. Mm. So that's the biggest mistake I see people make is, uh, is that. Um, and as far as tips, well, again, you know, talking about production and songwriting and recording is that's, you know, we could do, you know, three 10 hour <laughs> sessions about that. But I will say, if you want to learn about drum recording, pick up my DVD because my DVD is two hours very, very content rich about my approach to how I record drums uh -huh. because drums, um, that is a, a the very challenge. That's one of the most challenging instruments to record because you have, when you're recording a drum set, you have multiple microphones, yeah. which produces multiple phase problems. And there's a, there's a lot of complexity. So I believe that I do a, a very thorough job of breaking that down. Nice. So rather than getting into talking about it, it's 10 bucks to download the DVD. Again, I'm not getting rich on it, but mm -hmm. if you want to learn about drums, about recording drums, I, I think it's a great asset, a great resource for you because I encourage anybody and everybody to record drums because I think that it's a lost art. And I think that um, one of the differences, one of the beautiful things about today's technology is anybody can make music, um, very inexpensively mm -hmm. if you do it if you do it properly and especially something like recording drums because it used to you know it used to cost minimum a thousand bucks just to rent a cheap studio and a thousand bucks for an engineer before you've even played a note you spent two thousand dollars <clears throat> now you can buy a laptop an audio interface a few mics and you can go to town and you can actually get some good sounding drum tracks if you follow some certain rules. And that's why I recommend people either check out my resource of my DVD on Hudson or, or just read, read about the complications that can happen or the variables that can happen when you're, when you're recording drums, Say the recording guitars and vocals. I mean, there's, there's a lot of variation and it also depends on what, what you're, what you're trying to do. So I don't even look at it as right and wrong. I look at it as what, what are you trying to create? Okay. If you have a sound in your head and you're capable of creating it or creating close to it, then you're, then you're successfully recording. If you have an idea about what you want to do and you're, you're, you're really far away from that, that means you need more education. So again, I wouldn't worry so much about the gear as I would about the education about how to do it. Okay. I think it's much more important how you do, how you play it than more than what you play. <laughs> Nicely said. Nicely said. 
And that actually segues nicely into wanting to give you a chance to tell the listeners about the one-on-one coaching and mentoring that you do. I uh, take on a very limited amount of people because I have a very, very limited schedule, but um, I, w- I do uh, Zoom or Skype online lessons, but they're more like career coaching because I have some very specific strategies mm-hmm. for people. If someone tells me what their goals are, I will help them outline an actionable strategy plan that they can move forward with to start to achieve what they want to achieve. So I, I, I'm busy and I'm writing my second book as well. <laughs> awesome. So I have a lot of fun doing a lot of things and being, and being on this wonderful tour with Pink, of course, is first priority. I work everything else around that. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is, did you hear episode 235 of NHTE? This is a little nugget you may have missed from that. One of the ways to potentially get lots of views on a cover video that you're putting on YouTube is to time its release so as to coincide with the start of a tour by the artist whose song you are performing. Of course, it has also been said to me on this show that timing a cover video with a song right when it's coming out really positions you well for success too. Try one or both of these methods and see which one works best for your video view totals. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. That's really great to know, isn't it? Very helpful, right? Bruce gives out a tip just like that on every episode of this show, and there's an easy way to get all those that he gave out over the first 160 episodes. The ebook series called Bruce's Bonus Book contains four volumes, and they're all available for purchase and immediate download at www.brucesbonusbook.com. Order yours now for helpful tips that you can apply to your career right away. Mark, I've said it over and over during the four and a half years of this show, but it still bears repeating, especially as we've picked up new listeners. Even the successful musicians like yourself are not doing just one thing these days. You are not just drummer Mark Shulman, and that's it. As Dominic Page has said way back on episode eight of this show, it's a new economy. And I think it's important that the up-and-coming performers hear that so they don't put all their eggs in one basket. Yes, I, I, would, I would love to get your view on that as someone who is playing on a major tour, but also doing clinics, also being a keynote speaker, and so on and so on. But I'd also love to know how you keep these other aspects of, of if you will, Mark Shulman, Inc. going when you are down in Australia and New Zealand for two months. I think that we have a limited amount of time we can spend in a day and I think that you spend your time wisely learning as much as you can and communicating with as many people as you can to build your network. So that's what I do. I spend my time wisely. I try to learn. I'm writing a book. I read. I listen. I plan. I look at my branding. I do a lot of video, primarily for corporate clients. And I like to spend my time wisely. Anytime doing something that is going to benefit my present and benefit my future and benefit my family and inspire others. 
I look at myself as a man who's being of service. I think everything we do is being of service. We're all in the service industry. When I'm on stage, I'm being of service to Pink. I'm being of service to my bandmates. I'm being of service to the audience. And my philosophy is if everybody around me is happy, I'm happy. I love it. I love that attitude. And, and I love the the perspective of, of being of service. That's not something that we hear, I'll say, enough in this industry <laughs> to be nice. Yeah. I love the title of your book, Conquering Life's Stage Fright, Three Steps to Top Performance. I know you said that you're starting a second book that you're writing, but for that first one, I think if people hear that a drummer wrote a book, they assume it's all about that life, you know, as a touring and or recording musician. But this first book of yours can actually help anyone. You you reveal concepts and exercises that the reader can immediately employ to transform anxieties related to any type of presentation. Absolutely. Well, as I said, I'm because I speak to corporate audiences and colleges and kids, I like it. I like the concepts to be universal. And so I talk about universal concepts because there are plenty of amazing books that are about just drumming or just about drummers experiences like Kenny Aronoff and Carmine, a piece have written some incredible autobiographies about their life experience. Mine is a bit about my life experience, but is a little bit more oriented toward how I can enhance your life experience through what I've learned. So every chapter has exercises. And, and you know, the, the foundation is conquering life stage fright, but it really is about the three steps to top performance that I mentioned earlier, which is clarity, capability, and confidence, and ways to develop clarity how you figure that out, how you go, how you go about developing your capability, the right routes to take so you can achieve actual confidence as opposed to false confidence. And I interviewed about 50 people, not only musicians like Stuart Copeland and mm. Kelly Hansen from Foreigner, but Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos and Guy Fieri and wow. astronaut Alan Bean, people like that about top performance. And what other people, musicians and people that are in different industries can all learn about how these masters of performance navigate their lives and what they do to develop true confidence. And that's what the book is about. And I believe that that's of more value than simply telling my story. Because my story is a fun one and an interesting one. And you're going to learn from it, but you're not necessarily going to learn as much as you can um, as as you would if someone was saying, well, hey, but if you did this and this and this and try this exercise and apply this, then you're going to see these changes. And that's what I write about. And my next book I'm particularly excited about as well. Um, the working title is Hacking the Rockstar Attitude. And it's based on a concept called ABC. Literally means attitude, behavior, consequence. Mm. And what that is based on is the fact that we can't always control what happens to us. And you know that's true. Yeah. But you have the power at any moment in time to change, manipulate, choose your attitude, regardless of the challenges you may be facing. 
And your attitude is what drives your behavior. And one attitude can drive many behaviors. And behaviors are what determine the consequences or outcomes of your life. Now, this is really powerful stuff. ABC, and I employ it every day of my life. I do what I call conscious attitude shifts. So the book is about how you can create attitude shifts and interviews with some really powerful people and how they have done just that, how they have failed because of their attitudes and how they have succeeded because of their attitudes. And my own stories about failures in my attitude and successes in my attitude. Wow. So look out for that book coming out next wow. year. That's going to be a powerful one. I love it. Yeah, very much so. And and this is this is great timing. I just had a situation uh, last month where I was up in Philadelphia, was looking to fly home. The flight got canceled. It was the last one of the night. So it's going to have to be an all of a sudden overnight situation that wasn't planned. And I stopped dead in my tracks in the airport. And I turned and I looked at my wife and I said, look, our attitude right now is going to be what impacts how the rest of this night goes and getting back to Tampa. And she kind of looked at me like kind of deer in the headlights. And I said, if the attitude right now is woe is me and look at what the airline did and this is so terrible, then as you're saying, Mark, you know, your behavior is going to follow that. And it's just going to be a downer for everybody. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. No problem. We, we have each other like, you know, we weren't in, on, on a schedule. No big deal. And so I'm right there with you. Great, great topic. Great Again, you're being of service, you know, with with this next book, and and I love this this angle that you're coming from. So uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see that book. And and your 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 example is a perfect example, my friend. That's exactly it. Because there's so many things out of our control, and when you know that you have the power, because people forget. It's such a simple and fundamental thing that we all know, but we forget and recognizing the mechanism and being able to employ it is so critical. And when you just decide, because it literally is a decision that you're making, that making a decision right off the bat is an attitude shift because when you make a decision, you're cutting off all other possibilities. So like as an example with auditioning, relating it back to musicians, mm -hmm. what I started to realize is I did plenty of auditions that I didn't get the gig. But my attitude was not just to get the gig. My attitude was to, who can I meet through this mm. gig? How can I expand my network? Because you never know. I love it. And in the opening story of my current book, Conquering Life Stage Fright, was how I miserably failed an audition with a supergroup called Bad English. And the interesting thing about that is I thought, man, I thought I was done and I was about to step off the stage forever with that smell of defeat mm. following me. And I realized that instead of this being the defining moment I thought it was going to be, which is the defining moment I was getting the gig, it was the defining moment of me to make a decision right then. Um, what I was going to do was I going to increase my skill set because I had been rushing so horribly during that um, audition and I was so nervous. So I made two promises to myself. First promise is nobody's going to tell me I'm speeding up or slowing down unless I want to speed up or slow down. And my second promise is I'm going to bust my nerves and fear into submission and literally transform them into confidence. And so I spent two years just working every day with a metronome, solidifying my internal sense of time. Mm. So my meter would be so good 
that nobody would ever tell me I was speeding up or slowing down. Wow. And you know what? Nobody has to wow. unless wow. I wanted to. Because it's okay to speed up and slow down. You just want to be in control of it. So I did the work, and then I spent the next 20 years analyzing and studying and researching and networking until I discovered habits and rituals that enabled me to go into the world class, quote unquote. And these are all essentially attitude shifts. Yep. And I realize now, like, and, and, and you know, talk about the network and the irony of that I didn't get that gig, but like five or six years later, Ricky Phillips, who was the bass player of Bad English, called me to play in his original <laughs> band. And when he called me, I was, I, was, I was shocked. I said, dude, I completely screwed up that audition. Don't you remember? He goes, man, everybody rushed during that audition. Man, wow. Jonathan Cain was making everybody nervous. Wow. He said, I just like you, and I like the feel of your playing, so I'd like you to play with me. Awesome. So that's when I realized, wow, even if you feel like you're failing, quote unquote, in a circumstance, you're still meeting people. Yep. And the same thing happened to Eva, the bass player for Pink. She auditioned for this show called Rockstar. Paul Merkovich was the musical director. Paul was the MD for Cher. He's the MD for Pink. And Eva missed that audition. But Paul calls her two years later because mm. he remembers her and asks her to audition for Pink. So you never know. Just because you think you're failing, you're not. You are increasing your network. And yeah. it's really critical that people understand that it's it's not about just that one experience. It's about how that one experience affects your whole life and your future and how it all plays out. And when people realize that, then they don't feel the loss. They don't feel the pain. They go, well man, okay, look, I'm a Jewish guy from the San Fernando Valley. I'm white. Now, I've walked into a few auditions where I knew they wanted a black drummer. Great. You want an African-American drummer? Great. And there are some killing African-American drummers. And the guys that ended up getting the gigs I failed were incredible drummers, like, you know, Tony Royster Jr. and Teddy Campbell. I said, but I remember auditioning for, for George Michael, and I walked in, and I just knew they weren't going to hire me because I knew they were looking for a brother. Mm. And that's great, you know? But I still got to meet people in that audition. I think they yep. ended up hiring Alvino Bennett, who's, you know, Alvino, lovely, lovely man, you know? Um, but, uh, so, you know, you never know who you're, you, you can't, you can't, people see, see, we see each other through our own prejudices, you know? You, you, you never know what people are looking for. I remember auditioning for the cult and I walked in and I was like surfer guy, all, you know, buffed up and working out all tan, big blonde hair. These guys all had like long black hair, white skin tattoos. I didn't have a tattoo. I walked in, I'm like, I'm going to get these gigs, man. I'm, I'm not the right guy. But I ended up becoming friends with Billy Duffy, the guitar player. Then years later, I played in a band. It only lasted a month. But it was a band. It was me and Billy Idol and Billy Duffy. Wow. And, um, um, oh, my God, I'm spacing on his name, the bass player for Metallica. Anyway, we played in a band for, for a month, and then I ended up going on the road. I screwed up the damn band. 
But you see, folks, that's the moral of the story there is, you know, Mark is still, he's still getting these callbacks, even in instances where he knew like, man, this wasn't meant, you know, I'm not getting this gig. But the other part of it too, listeners, if if you're a musician and you're auditioning and you go in, you know, as Mark is saying, attitude is everything, but it's also about just what kind of person are you? Like people could say like, ah, you know what? Don't really think that's the drummer we're looking for, or don't think that's the guitar player, the bassist, whatever instrument you play, but good dude though, like really liked him. And if you leave them with a favorable impression, you know, they're going to remember that if you screw up the audition and you're an idiot, there's not going to be any callback. And I think Victor Wainwright said this when I interviewed him, he said, you know, I'd, I'd rather have a band that consists of really good people then have the best guitar player, the best bass player, the best drummer, and they're all just, you can't get along with them at all. You just can't stand them as people. So, you know, that's the... Oh, totally. I mean, think about... Oh, for, by the way, it's Robert Trujillo was the bass player. I love <laughs> Robert. I haven't seen him in many years. Um, you know, think about being in a tour bus with 14 people. <laughs> there you go. There you know, you it's go. like being in a, in, in, a, in a little office cubicle with like, you know, a dozen people at the same time. You darn well better get along or try to get along. I mean, I'm so fortunate because on the Pink Tour, it's a big love fest. There's a bunch of incredible people that really love and respect each other. I've been on some tours where people weren't quite so loving and quite respectful. <laughs> and it's a pain in the ass, man. It ain't fun. So I agree. And also, I do know that some of my friends would much rather hire the people they know and they're comfortable with than a, than a person that might have more chops. Yeah, it ain't about the chalk. Yep. It's about the family. It's about the whole picture. Amen. Amen. I am joined today by drummer Mark Shulman, also a producer, author, keynote speaker, mentor slash coach, audio engineer, and recording studio co-owner. He's checking in on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Australia. Visit his official website at markshulman.com, which we will have a link to on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. On his website, you will find a link to Mark's Instagram, plus he is also on Facebook and Twitter. His book that he talked about is available on Amazon. There's a link directly to it from the section of his website called The Author. Get in touch with Mark through the contact section of his website relative to the one-on-one coaching slash mentoring services that he talked about or to book him as a keynote speaker for your corporate event. If you find value in listening to Now Hear This Entertainment each week, whether it's the education from me and my guests or just pure entertainment value or both, I would appreciate your support through the show's Patreon campaign at nhte.net. You will see a support us on Patreon button, or you can go directly to patreon.com slash nhte. You determine the amount that you can contribute. It's not like Kickstarter or the traditional crowdfunding platforms that you might be thinking of. Read up on it. Again, our website, nhte.net, click the support us on Patreon button. Mark, back on episode 189 of the show, I interviewed singer, songwriter, guitar player William Crichton, who is from Australia, although he's actually on tour right now in Europe, and he's going to be playing in Nashville next month before heading up for shows in Canada. I think I asked him, as an Aussie, how he finds the crowds to be in like Europe and North America. What about you? When you play in Australia, does it feel different than doing concerts, say, in the U.S., for example? And if so, how? Not really. I mean, people are people. And, you know, pink fans are pink fans. As far as there's a lot of similarities 
in how much they adore her and appreciate her <laughs> and respond to her. I think rather than categorizing it as an Australian audience or a Hungarian audience or an, or an audience from Idaho, it's really more about that each audience is truly unique. And it depends mm. on the time of year. It depends on the day. It depends on the economic climate. It depends on, there's so many variables. We've had some shows where the audience is just so off the charts, crazy <laughs> amazing, like in Hungary is an example of Budapest, or like in Brisbane, you know, a few weeks ago, or Sydney last night, they were great. I mean, every audience is great. They're just different. And the thing that's interesting is every audience is really like its own unique entity. Mm. And that's fascinating because they kind of all respond off of each other. You think about 10 to 50,000 people, they are still within the context of each other and still responding to each other's energies. And, you know, some, some audiences are just a little higher energy than others. Mm -hmm. Some audiences are a little louder than others. But generally, the audiences are absolutely magnificent because they're there to love us. I yeah. mean, they want... Well, they're there to love Pink. Yeah. You know, I'm there to support Pink. It's not like, hey, man, we're here to see Mark. No, they're <laughs> here to see Pink, and I'm here to support her. There might be a few Mark Schulman fans here and there, but let's face it. Um, I joke sometimes. I say, imagine what it's like to be on stage in front of 50,000 people and not one set of eyes is looking at you <laughs> because they're looking at her <laughs> because she's outstanding. You know, when I played with Foreigner, it's a little different because it's more of a band and more people are yeah. looking at the yeah. band playing with a solo artist. It really is about the solo artist yeah. as it should be. And we adore her and we want to give her everything possible. So I'm, I don't want to distract from her anyway. I want to be there to promote and support her. Nice. As they said, to be nice. of service. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just happy to be there. And I, and, and so, yeah. So yeah, the answer is no, there is really no big difference between, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. Some of the Asian, like in Japan, the audiences, the culture is so different sure. that I remember like sometimes when I play there with artists, you can hear a pin drop because mm. they just don't necessarily talk when an artist is singing. Mm -hmm. They're not yelling and hooting and hollering. Um, whereas, you know, Americans might be a little bit more boisterous and Australians, same thing. So there are some cultural differences between some of the Asian cultures, but almost all the Western cultures, it really is more like just city to city, um, night to night. Uh, you know, there's just, there, there are too many other variables. Well, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the Rush in Rio DVD and when Rush played YYZ and you hear the Brazilians singing along to YYZ, which is an instrumental. And you go, wait a minute, like nobody does that in the United States. So there kind of stands out like, hey, these Brazilians are a different breed, you know, but it's it's what you're yeah. saying. That's just the energy that they have and, and playing off of one another in addition to just being, you know, crazy excited that the band is is in Rio. Right, right. Listeners, I did not ask William Crichton what kind of guitar he plays, but uh, for yours truly, I have an acoustic from Boulder Creek Guitars. You know I talk all about their suspended bracing system and the worn tone that it gives my guitar. Uh, how different, I should say, how much better it sounds from the guitar I had before it. I mentioned Mark Shulman having a signature Gretsch snare drum, and big, big names are playing instruments from Boulder Creek guitars. Country music star Lee Bryce plays Boulder Creek. 
Sarah McLaughlin, players from Three Doors Down, Rascal Flats, Fleetwood Mac, their artist roster goes on and on. Check it all out at bouldercreekguitars.com. That's B-O-U-L-D-E-R, bouldercreekguitars.com. We're in the home stretch here. Mark, I've mentioned a few times about your being a keynote speaker. And listeners, I'm talking big-time keynote speaker, Johnson & Johnson, Cisco, Yahoo, a long list of companies that have brought Mark in for events. And Mark, not only do you have multiple presentations that a client pin, can pick from to have you do, but this is really a big part of, as I called it earlier, Mark Shulman, Inc. Yes? No, it's not Mark Shulman, Inc. It's actually Jetty Jewels, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Mark Shulman Presents is my uh, sort of title for my speeches. Yes. But the speaking, I, I, I want the listeners to understand because they... They're hearing all these great drum stories, and, and speaking has become a big part of what you do. Well, the, the listeners are hearing some of my greatest speaking content, too, because clarity, capability, uh, confidence, atti- atti- yeah, attitude, behavior, uh, consequence, these are some of the philosophies that I discuss in the corporate setting. Just what I'll do is I will find out who I'm talking to and incorporate some of their pr- specific mandates uh. and specific pains and specific goals for that particular convention because I'm there to be of service. So what it is, is it's essentially I play drums, I tell road stories, and I provide philosophy that is relevant to them. My goal is I don't want people to walk away saying, wow, Mark is cool. I want people to walk away going, wow, I feel cool as a result of what I've learned from Mark. Fantastic. And that's really special. Fantastic. For me. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Final question. I, I always like to ask this when I'm talking to a guest that has had so many years performing with big names throughout a long, successful career, I mentioned, you know, someone like Scott Page, for instance, before. Scott is a lot like Mark, listeners, in terms of someone who still performs but really has his act together in the business world. Mark, is it possible, this is the question I'm leading up to, is it possible to pick out a career highlight for you? Or or if not, you know, is there maybe one real memorable story that sticks out for you that you like to share? Playing with Pink on the same bill with Paul McCartney mm. at the Isle of Wight, which is a separate island on the coast of England for about 70,000 people, and having a 10-minute conversation with Paul McCartney and then playing on the same bill with him with Pink was pretty darn special. Mm. Um, playing in front of two, 250,000 people at the Glastonbury Festival in England with simple minds with Peter Gabriel standing on the side of the stage. Mm. That was pretty darn special. Um, Playing my first tonight's show performance with Brenda Russell, knowing that we were recording and it was going live and I could not make any mistakes (laughs) (laughs) because it was going to be played for in front of, you know, millions and millions of people back in 1988 that was a special moment as well. Wow. wow. So that's just a few of the yeah. highlights. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, we're going to close with a song called Crazy for Nothing. Before we let you go, just tell the listeners what this song is, Mark. Well, one of the things I do is I, I write with some amazing writers and producers. Damon Ranger is a good friend of mine, and he brought me and Eva, uh, for, who's the, key, the bass player from... Pink and Julian Coriel, my studio mate together, to do some recording and writing of some songs for Dee Snyder's new record. And Dee's 
an amazing singer, you know. And so we wrote a little bit more of a pop record, not quite so twisted sister. But this particular song is a song that Julian wrote most of the lyrics about his about his relationship that he was in. And um, it's a song that I co-wrote and co-produced. But what's especially great about the song is my daughter, when she was five, decided she wanted to create a band. And the name of her band was Crazy for Nothing. So I was telling the story. So the song is named after my daughter's makeup band. So when, I, when, when they gave me my, my plaque, my record plaque for my wall of my studio, I had them make it out in my daughter's name instead of mine. Outstanding. And that's the story. Wow. And here's the song. Wow. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. Bruce, you're an animal. Great. <laughs> And, uh, wow, you're providing such amazing information for people. So thank you for doing this. Thank you, my friend. I'm trying. Really, really appreciate your time. Really great to talk to you, Mark. Thank you ever so much. My pleasure, brother. Pleasure to meet you. And uh, we will catch up soon. Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to drummer, producer, author, speaker, coach slash mentor audio engineer jack of all trades mark shulman do visit his official website markshulman.com as i said before we will have a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net on his website look for that link i told you about to his instagram plus he is also on facebook and twitter and remember that you can purchase his book from amazon which you will find a direct product page link to from the section of markshulman.com called The Author. Plus, on the contact page of his website, you can get in touch to inquire about his coaching slash mentoring services or for keynote speaker bookings for corporate events. Do also be sure to tell him that you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment. If you have enjoyed this episode of NHTE, if you enjoy listening each week, if you get a lot from the education on this show, whether that's information from me, my guests, or both, and or if you simply love the entertainment value from Now Hear This Entertainment, I would ask you to strongly consider supporting the show through the Patreon campaign. Simply go on the website, nhte.net, and click on the Support Us on Patreon button to be taken to the page with all the information, plus the different levels, as well as the thank you items sent to patrons. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out with the song that Mark just talked about. This is called Crazy for Nothing. Crazy for Nothing.